country boy, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. All right, I'm going to get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. I hope you had a great time in France. Did you have any croissants? If you missed the flight, don't worry. That episode is live and waiting for you. We're now in Sweden on an anthropological quest. I do have two new, not-so-new guests that you may love. Maybe you hate them. That's your tea, not mine. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hi, everyone. It's Noah. You may remember me from when we did Final Final Girl Support Group. That was kind of slay, but now we're here to talk about a movie, and I'll be a little bit, you know, just into it more. A little bit more loose. And I'm Nalissa. I was on the Fresh Pod one. I was on that one. And I was on the Last Night Soho. Right, right. And a good time we had. back. A little double feature. A little triple feature. <laughs> now we got a triple and a double. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we get into any nitty gritty things, make sure that you are following me on Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. This thing popped up out of nowhere. All right. I thought I lost you. Check. Before we get... <laughs> all right. All right. Hold on, hold, on, hold on. Okay. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates, such as what to expect for every new episode. While you may be familiar with my current guests, some of you are a little new, so why don't we get a little comfortable? What are we... <laughs> no, break it down. <laughs> what are... Get into the gig. What? Tell us how you feel. <laughs> what are we streaming, reading, or watching? Nelly, go ahead and go first. Um, I just started the boondocks yesterday. <laughs> Ooh. And I've never seen it, and I'm having such a fun old time. Okay. I'm just thriving. Oh, and I just finished um, Queen Charlotte, and I was broken. Oh, Heart yeah. shattered, even. Um, Did you... You got the... Have you ever... Have you? Oh my gosh, whoa. Did you read I'm Glad My Mom Is Dead? Or my, I'm no. Glad, I'm glad my, no. Why? No. Okay. No, I just didn't remember if you got the book or not. No, Kiara did. And she didn't give it to you? No, she has it locked up. Oh my. a glass, like, wall. Fake friend. Boo. Wow, boo. Scorpio's boo. I'm kidding. Boo. Oh. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. A little awkward. All right, and Noah. Well, I guess, like, the media that I've been consuming lately, right now I'm reading a book that's not very horror podcast-related. You know, it's not super fear, but it's super queer. 
Ooh, Ooh. see what I did there? Right. It's called Giovanni's Room. It's actually really good. Yeah. Um, highly recommend it. And something that I'm watching right now is obviously kind of every queers watching it who loves horror yellow jackets. I'm <laughs> absolutely obsessed. And you all should be tuning in because I'm gagged like every single episode. It's fucking insane. And uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown, who plays Mindy on Scream, is also in that show. And I love her if she just so happens to be listening to this or if you know her and you're listening to this. Let her know that I sent her a message on Instagram to be on my <laughs> podcast. Dang. I would love to have we her. We love you, girl. We, we love do love you. Shay. We love so much. So much be our friends, please. Oh, please. She is almost 30, which would be an interesting dynamic, but I'm open to Whoa, it. Oh, she looks great. No. <laughs> She's supposed to look elderly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Please, but. <laughs> all right well i will preface this by saying that um this is going to be probably one of the most unhinged episodes mm-hmm. that i've had in a while uh because i really didn't prepare anything for it because i really just wanted to lollygag or how you may say dilly dally so <laughs> we're just gonna have fun as we talk about one of my top favorite all-time movies Mid Samar. Can I get a little clap from the audience? Yeah, we got a little yeah. clap. Yeah. Yeah. Highly rated on Letterbox. Yup. Oh, yeah. yeah. If it's not in your top on Letterbox, literally, who um, are you? Def top two when it ain't number two. Are you even <laughs> a horror fan? Let's talk about it. Let's, get Let's into discuss. It, oh, IMDb. IMDb has it rated as a 7.1 out of 10. I want to talk about, I want to talk to those people. Yeah. They never love because seeing women in horror thrive. No. Uh, like, and that's, that's what I'm trying to fight for. <laughs> women in horror right. deserve to be there. Um, all right. So, well, I mean, quite frankly, like this is a movie that has been out for a while, so we probably all know about what it is, what it's about, what's going on. However, I figured I'd throw it back a little and run through the synopsis, run through the plot so that we can do a little commentary, have a little fun, a little refresh, a little refresh. Right, right, right. Let's get into it. Um, this movie is starring Florence Pugh as Danny. And it also has Will Poulter, who plays Mark. He's very, very annoying. Um, I, oh, my God. I love Like, him. love him. Hate the character. Yeah, I was waiting. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He needed to die. <laughs> he always has something to say at the wrong time. Right, right. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and so it also is starring, um, what's his name? Um, Jack Rayner as Christian Hughes, which also hate him um oh yeah waited for him to die too but you know who i do love which i know you said he's pretentious one of you did uh william jackson harper who plays josh i love him in everything else he's in quite frankly even this movie yeah i thoroughly enjoyed him in his other projects but to be honest like in this movie he was just a little too pretentious for me and he kind of like he wasn't as douchey as the other ones but his pretentiousness really like just overdid it for me. Right. I didn't like it. Yeah. 
Um, All the men are kind of unlikable, though, if we're being real. And that's, that's the point. And that's why I think it has a 7 out of 10 on, on IMDb. Because let's talk about it. Who's really using IMDb? Right. Men. Exactly. And yeah. Also, oh, my God. It's always the patriarchy. And, like, because I know all of the women with taste oops, are on Letterboxd. Everybody, <laughs> everybody with taste. Who said that? Everybody with taste is on Letterboxd. And that is mostly what? mostly gay people and mostly women. Yeah. All the up-to-date girlies know where to go to get their proper reviews. Yeah. But let's also not not forget about the film bros because it's like I think it's a generational thing. Like all of the old film bros that are like in their forties still kicking are <laughs> on IMDB. They have not their forties still kicking in the grave. Kicking as if they're one foot in the grave when you start <laughs> are they supposed to be dead at forty? They're like Yo, ventilated. Shout out to all the forties. Um yeah, they're probably still on IMDB because they don't know about about the new things, you know? Yeah. Like we do. Like the young people. Yeah, they just don't get it. Like the hip folk. No, the hip folk, it. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all about Gen Z these days. Um, mm-hmm. not everyone can be us, and that's why, that's why millennials hate us. Mm-hmm. Anyways, if you're a millennial listening to this, I love you for supporting me. Um, you're instantly cooler just because you're listening right now. Exactly. So you get brownie points. Brownie points. You'll get a. Uh, you'll also get like a really cool sticker since you <laughs> that says honorary horror millennial. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's jump into the synopsis of this uh, movie. I want. I would like to try to go fast, but at the same time, I don't really care. So it is what it is. It is what it is. The film opens up uh, with this mural of a bizarre and eerie ritual taking place, and we see the images of dark, snowy forests with the sound of old folk music playing in the background and this okay one thing that i really like about this movie is the way that like it just it's all about foreshadowing and this is what made me love ari aster which it was hereditary that made me love ari aster but he uses the same things in all of his movies except for is afraid but that's a different story i really don't want to talk about that movie (laughs) um but i and i i also will not start talking about the foreshadowing right now but just no spoilers will be coming so if for whatever reason you haven't watched this movie yet we really need to talk it out. Get some help. Get your ass up. Get some help. And get, get to, to work. work. Exactly. <laughs> like nobody wants to work these days. And that's like, the real problem. Yeah. That is the real problem here. Um, so yeah, there will be spoilers coming. I can't guarantee when they will be coming because once you get Noah and Nelly talking about Midsommar or Florence Pugh, Miss Poe. I'm going to just ramble. Yeah. Mama Flo, no. It's, <laughs> it's a river that's going to keep coming. So there's your warning now. Uh, if you don't want this movie spoiled and you have yet to watch it, it might be best for you to click off right now. Grab yourself a snack. I don't know. Maybe actually watch the movie. It is on Paramount Plus or Showtime. <laughs> Just legally streaming like any other typical Gen Z or right, 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 and just support the proper streaming services that deserve your hard earned money. Precisely, you put it so so finely, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, so now, um, we have this opening scene. College student Danny Ardor, which is played by Florence Pugh, calls her parents but is sent to voicemail. 
She expresses concern over her bipolar sister, Terry, who left her a cryptic message recently. Which, can we talk about the, the message real quick? Because the, oh, the yes. way that she, she was like, I'm taking mom and dad too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Never oh, my God. Like, to be honest, like, maybe it was just me being dumb and, like, not reading. Mm-hmm. But I didn't put two and two together of, like, the message and then, like, what happened, you know? Yeah. Well, and, like, I don't know. I think the sequencing is a little bit confusing with it, too, because you, you see her parents and they're sleeping. Like, they're they're breathing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I was just going to say, I love that scene because, well, I'll let you talk first. Honestly, no. You probably have more, more valuable things to say right <laughs> now. Okay. I was going to say that I like, like, that opening scene because, um you hear the phone call and it's danny stressed out and it's like panning at the parents sleeping Mm -hmm. well quote unquote sleeping and as like the scene goes on you notice that they were actually dead i like to think that they were actually dead like the whole time Mm -hmm. and it was just trying to subvert our expectations until you actually saw her sister like dead with you know yeah and i actually when we were watching it uh last night i didn't even I think that might have been my first time noticing that they are actually breathing the first time we see them. Before, I don't think I ever noticed it. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, interesting. At what point did they die then? Um, but that's like, that's also, I think that Terry's plan was absolutely insane. Like, very, yeah. very well thought out uh, <laughs> for for someone going through what she was going through. Like, and taping, taping the pipe to her mouth. Yeah. Like, I've never seen somebody who wanted to die more, quite A frankly. Truly horrific scene. Just, like, seeing her body lay there. Yeah. Like, how does one even get to that point is crazy. Like, I can't fathom it. I know. Um, and, and, like, even when you do see like um like when the firefighters and police officers are going through the house and it's all just slow motion Mm -hmm. and everything is slowly revealed to you in terms of just like the details of the death that happened and i'm pretty sure after that it just cuts to danny screaming and florence Pugh put her entire like life her rent everything into her crying in this movie what no because i don't know what she had what trauma she had to bring out for to emit those sounds but bravo bravo no literally bravo like the guttural sound of her just wailing sent chills down my spine Mm. watching it for the first time literally made my skin crawl yeah like i could feel her pain like that is an actress period can we get a reenactment (laughs) right 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 right. (laughs) no no. not right now not right now no you're not in actor mode um no so so then um which of course we just skipped ahead a little bit but it's okay um danny whenever she doesn't get an answer from her sister because her sister is currently seeking through her plan of death um she then calls her boyfriend christian who's hanging out with his friends josh mark and pile sorry i don't know pile um (laughs) pile um (laughs) 
Christian assures Danny that this is just another one of Terry's episodes because she is bipolar, but he adds that Danny only feeds into Terry's antics. And this is where we, like, this, okay, this scene establishes their relationship and who Christian is as a character. So the fact that right off the bat, he's gaslighting her and, and like, blaming her for her sister's mental disorder, it, like, he was never going to be likable. No. Yeah, he just immediately goes into being unsupportive, and then it just snowballs. Yeah, I absolutely hate his character at this exact moment. Um, but after he hangs up, she gets a call from an unknown number, and this is where she learns that her family is dead. Meanwhile, Josh and Mark think that Christian should just end it with Danny since it's clear that he's wanted out of the relationship for a while. And as they are uh, planning an upcoming trip to Sweden, which is where we're currently at, um, Pile suggests that they will meet lots of other women, which is also just insane the way that he's talking. I mean, maybe it's a manipulation tactic, but... It's very clear that Pile wants Danny. <laughs> like, so it's, I don't know, the way that he is jumping into the conversation and like talking down on Danny with everyone else, but then to turn around and try to be this like hero to her is really weird. Danny tries to call Christian again and is wailing hysterically. Cue the crying. Ah! We then see authorities going into Danny's parents' home where Terry has flooded the house with carbon monoxide, killing her parents before stuffing the tube into her mouth and taping it there. Christian goes to Danny's apartment to console her, which it's like now at this point, he feels like he can't even break up with her because she's grieving and she's in mourning, which I want to talk more about this after we get through the synopsis because i do think it's an interesting conversation to have because is he truly in the wrong we'll find out i can't wait to have it you've been dying because i've been dying to talk about it for a hot minute right right we're gonna dig into it a little bit several months later after the death of her family danny tries to contain her grief she hangs out with christian and his friends and learns about their trip to sweden to a midsummer celebration in the harga a village where Pile grew up and she didn't know about this trip and she's at this party and she really shouldn't be there in the first place because it's obvious that she's not ready to be in public around people but she's forcing herself to get over her situation and I don't even think it's I don't think that she's even doing it for herself like she's doing it because she feels bad for Christian like she feels bad for putting her grief on Christian. And she even has this whole conversation with her friend. It's like, that's what he's there for. Like he's there to console you and emotionally support you. And yet she's still like, she's just not feeling. What if I'm leaning too much on him? Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God. Oh my God, babe, please. Like girl, first of all, get a grip, get several grips, several. And if you need me, Stand up, Rocky knees. Stand up. She is such a people pleaser, to be honest, which we can all kind of relate to. Mm. Um, uh, is she a water sign? Honestly, <gasps> real. She probably yeah. is. She's probably a is, she, is she a water sign? I oh, all that crying. <laughs> 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 oh, <man. laughs> 
Um, not to give her points though. I'd be delusional too, pushing through it. I'd be going through psychosis too. Yeah, I mean, props to her, but quite frankly, had had she just given herself the time to grieve Mm -hmm. and maybe went to therapy a few times? Well, I was just gonna say, seek therapy, go to grief counseling. Exactly. Maybe, maybe she would be in a better place. Um, so the celebration that they're planning on going to is a celebration that occurs every 90 years and it lasts about nine days. Josh in particular is interested since he wants to write about the experience for his anthropology dissertation. Christian invites Danny to be nice. Technically he does. Technically he doesn't. It's one of those things where it's like, you can come if you want he doesn't want her to go and neither do like neither does his friends but he does it because he's guilty and she says it because she wants to please him and overall it's just a messy relationship to be in danny also is kind of upset with christian because she didn't even know about the trip and they were talking about it around her and it was literally supposed to happen within two weeks from her first hearing about it So she just kind of felt in the dark as well. Um, But, of course, she accepts the invitation to go, the guilt invitation to go. After Danny accepts this invitation, now they're all with Christian's friends. And Christian, for whatever reason, steps outside the room. I don't know why. But Pelé takes advantage of the opportunity and talks to Danny about the Midsommar celebration and their tradition of choosing a May Queen at the end of the celebration. He also tries to console Danny over her loss, stating that his parents had also passed away. But the mere mention of it triggers her and she goes to the bathroom to cry, which, you know, there's a time and place for trauma bonding. And now's not that time, especially when it's so recent, like they died like yesterday. Too soon. I guess, actually, I guess the timeline is a bit off, which is also one of the problems with the movie, dare I say. Because Mm -hmm. I, reading this synopsis, I'm like, it was was months? Because I literally thought that this all happened within weeks of each other. Yeah. So, but even still then, like, I don't know. And I think it was also the way that Pelé mentioned it in terms of, like, I get what you're going through. My parents died too, and it's just like, mm-hmm. all right. I don't think you. I don't think you fully do understand what I'm going through because my sister also died. And my sister's the one who killed them. Yeah. And I, she also. I think she might be like, she might be feeling guilty on some degree too, because I think that there were things that she tried to do, um, to help her sister and to be there for her sister. And one, her sister wasn't answering, but also I think it was the way that Christian was talking to her and talking her out of it. Like, oh, this is just another one of her antics. Mm -hmm. So if she listened to Christian because she was trying to please Christian, then she could be blaming herself for not being there at the right time. Yeah. I think it actually does do like a really great job of showcasing just like the stages of grief mm-hmm. in general. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's uh, elaborate on that. Elaborate <laughs> on that. <laughs> let's let go back. Let him cook. So, uh, and this transition between her going to the bathroom and being on the plane is really cool because she like runs to the bathroom and then the camera like does this flip and now she's in the bathroom on the plane crying, which is like. All right, this is your how how many times have you cried since this movie has started? This is like your fifth time. 
Um, we got it. Your parents, your family's dad. No, literally. <laughs> and then she she goes back out after she cries. She like has this panic attack. Then she gets back um, to her seat and sits next to Christian and is like, "No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine." Um, so then they drive out to Harga and meet Pele's brother Ingmar, uh, plus an an English couple named Simon and Connie. The group take magic mushrooms, but Ingmar offers Danny a special tea since it has a better taste. She's hesitant at first to do it, and yet she's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I can do it, I can do it. And she initially starts to enjoy the trip until Filet says that the group is like his family. (laughs) And that sends Danny down a rabbit hole of, of trauma. Um, and so she goes to take a walk. She starts to experience a bad trip and gets paranoid when another high group of people she comes across starts laughing in her direction. <laughs> and she starts to walk in the other direction. And this person, I think it's Ingmar, who's like, um, who's like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, they're they laughing, laughing at me. <laughs> and he was like, they're, they've been laughing this whole time. And I mean, like, I get that she's going through something right now, but I just couldn't help but to feel embarrassed. Yeah, it was a very embarrassing thing to just witness, honestly. And also just, like, intense. Like, she just seemed so tense, so frantic, like, literally frazzled. Like, just running around, crying, freaking out. Mm-hmm. After Ingmar tries to, like, soothe her or whatever, she's not soothed at all. So... She runs into this shed, which I'm pretty sure is just an outhouse. But when she looks in the mirror, which is something that you're not supposed to do when you're tripping on shrooms or any kind of psychedelic drug at all, you're not supposed to look in the mirror. And she looks in the mirror and she sees Terry behind her. So then this causes her to burst out of the shed, run into the woods where the trees appear to morph around her. And then she passes out and she like briefly dreams about Terry and her parents. And then she knocks out again. Danny wakes up next to Christian six hours later. What it it looks like she just slept in the woods. Yeah, like she literally just fell on the ground and was asleep and they just left her there, which is crazy in the middle of Sweden. And I think uh it like it makes for a fun dynamic to like when you notice how the group she came there with, all men. And then the like uh the group uh like a pillage group is mostly women there are some men too but it's mostly women and so then when you get to the end it kind of all makes sense as to why she may also feel more at home there because Mm -hmm. she's she's more surrounded by women who understand her versus men there's such a stark difference between when she's with um christian and christian's friends because they're very unsupportive and they are not very comforting to be around. Most of the social interactions that they have between each other are really tense and like really awkward and uncomfortable. Um, And everyone just kind of like glances over it and like just moves past it. But then when she actually like interacts more with the cult and like all of them, they're very comforting and she's smiley and like everything seems very peaceful until it's not. I also like that um whenever Danny is like going through something and like crying, she usually does it alone, but the only time that she isn't crying alone is when a group of women are around her. Right. Just crying with her. 
Yeah. And you know, like I get that we're in Sweden. I would have liked a little bit of color diversity in there. See, that would have been my red flag number one. And that's like the, the moral of the story here is don't go to a white person's home country to visit their community. Quote unquote. That doesn't sound crazy to you. Yeah, a literal whole group of all white people, like 50 plus, and they also all only wear white. Prancing around mm. in the forest. Mm. Right. I don't right. Know. Technically speaking, though, I mean, <laughs> if I didn't know any better, it sounds like Woodstock. <laughs> Woodstock, <laughs> like 60, 68. I mean, what's the difference, quite frankly? Music. Um, except Woodstock did have more people of color there. So yeah. they're winning yeah. on that front. Um, so Danny wakes up next to Christian six hours later. They join their friends and going back towards the village to meet the rest of the Harga community. Josh inquires about the many cultural aspects of the festival and the community. But when he asks about a mysterious gold teepee in the distance, he doesn't get a direct answer. A girl named Maya shows interest in Christian by playfully kicking him as he sits in a circle. Is that the girl? Is that the redheaded girl, Maya? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. Mm, she's a little she's a little freaky yeah. <laughs> we want one thing and one thing only and, and you know what i i can support a woman with a mission <laughs> at least she's consistent yeah she's consistent and she did witchcraft like girl i support get your man <laughs> any by any means necessary period and you know and see i think also she she did while the the principle behind it was not good. I think she did serve Danny justice because she got Christian away from her. And that's what she needed the most. Right. She could sense. She sensed it. Women exactly. support women. Yeah. Even when they're wrong. What? That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Pelé later gifts Danny with a drawing of herself for her birthday. She, menti- she mentions that Christian forgot her birthday but he later gives her a slice of cake to make up for it which i'm pretty sure someone reminded him that it was her birthday so it wasn't just like, yeah like oh my god it's it's just embarrassing to watch christian be christian i hate it bro just pack it up at this point because it's so frustrating to watch him consistently be horrible why put yourself and another person through what you're currently doing just because of your guilty conscience? Like, if you're feeling guilty now, why did you have to wait until her family died to feel guilty? You should have been feeling guilty a long time ago. Plus, it said that, like, he mentally checked out basically a year ago. Why didn't you break up when a year ago before everything happened? Right, if you're feeling guilty now, imagine all the shit you're putting her through after her family died. Like, shit, I'd feel guilty, like... (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. Enough said. (laughs) You're just an empath, Noah. An empath. You're just an empath. The Piscean energy. (laughs) When asked how long they've been together, Christian thinks it has been over three years. But Danny corrects him and says they've been together for four years. Pele then brings his friends to the place where they will be sleeping, which is also where, like, the young people sleep. So the teenagers and the babies. And the walls in this, like, 
barn sleeping area, first of all, are absolutely beautiful, but they have all kinds of illustrations on them, which kind of help to tell the story of the movie as well, which we shall talk about later. I love it. So the following day, the group joins the community for a feast. Two of the eldest villagers, Yilva and... Right, right. I, I... One more no, time. I feel like One I ate again. that girl. Right. <laughs> like, I did. Yilva. And the laborer, which is a man, um, are the guests of honor as they practice a breathing exercise before the whole community follows them to the edge of a cliff. Can we please get a demonstration of the breathing exercise? <gasps> no, <laughs> tell me that was like really good. That was really good. It was. No, no, no. Like y'all ate that. Unless not, you Thank did you. it, right? You did it. I, I thought it was... Okay, I, did I didn't know it. if you just gasped for something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they and they do they do that breathing exercise like before every meal and like uh, during other things that they do as well um quite frankly i've watched this movie how many times and i still can't figure out like the significance of it um what it's supposed to represent or mean so if you're listening to this and you know please let me know share that knowledge sometimes you just need to take a deep breath and i know right no it but it's more so like you know how people like the cultural importance no because my thing is they don't breathe in and out they go (gasps) like yeah so it's i feel like it's probably one of those like expelling a demon or something like expelling like negativity from you or something okay (laughs) wait So, yeah, they do the breathing exercise before the whole community follows them to the edge of a cliff. The elders cut their hands as they walk by the edge. The newcomers watch in horror as Yilva drops herself off the cliff and lands face first into a rock, leaving them to witness her gruesome, faceless skull. The laborer leaps off as well, but he only shatters his leg, which is also crazy because, like, the way that his leg is in multiple pieces like at least 20 pieces and he's just he's still alive like i would die just like i'm not that strong just from pure shame and it's like breathing like it's so like like rugged and mm -mm. that's a tough scene i remember watching it in theaters and like i this entire movie in a theater experience is insane if like you know how sometimes they bring back older movies in the theater for like a few days i i am waiting for the day they bring this movie back because i want to experience it again the box office sales would go crazy too oh my god especially yeah right right i support (laughs) i will personally fund it (laughs) quite (laughs) frankly um yeah he moans in agony like noah was saying and the villagers mimic and then they bring out the mallet <gasps> the mallet to finish him and off. so while they're like bringing out the mallet and preparing to end his life the villagers mimic the sounds of his moaning which is the first time that we're introduced to this kind of like community um like community unified 
emotions that they have i guess unifying in pain yeah like i mean honestly i feel like america could could use a little bit more of that yeah they need to groan in unison just just like every now and then you know i just feel like it'd be <laughs> feel each other's pain you already know how i feel a good scream every now and then is cleansing cleansing yeah honestly you know because like obviously living in living in a, in a living in a confined <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. living in a confined space it's really hard to scream when you want mm-hmm. so i feel like maybe the <gasps> might be <laughs> yeah, that was good that was might good be... that was good you're getting good Thanks. i'll keep practicing like guess how many demons i expelled today <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah they bring out the sledgehammer uh, Simon and Connie express their absolute horror while Danny goes back to her room, which, but she does kind of watch a little and too closely to what's going on to, before she runs to the away. juicy head smash. Yeah, that's she a great way to explain. It. I really like that scene because you can tell that they use practical effects on the heads. And that's oh my gosh, that's one thing about Ari Aster and his movies is. The special effects are going to be affecting. Wow. You know? And they eat down every time. Like, Rent is due for the special the effects realism. makeup artist. And he pays it in full. Wow. Every time. <laughs> Danny flees. Flees the scene. An elder villager woman, Shiv, explains to the group that this is a natural part of their ritual as the two elders reached what they felt was the end of their life cycle. Prolonging it further would have been bad. Pile goes to comfort Danny, thinking that her distress is linked more to her recent tragedy than it is to what she just witnessed. He attempts to console her again, but it's like, at this point, give it a rest, Pile. Like, you you do not know what you're doing. You're not a professional. Or he knows actually exactly what he's doing. I mean, and that's really the tea, but at the same time... I don't know. There's a time and place for trauma bonding, like I said. And you do have to give him props for it because he is a master at what he's doing. <laughs> like, like, oh my god, so I've never determined. met a master manipulator more than Filet, quite frankly. Um, and that's, you know what? And that's crazy because Christian, master manipulator. But Pillay, he's outdoing the doer. Yeah, it's actually, like, a really interesting contrast to see the ways in which Danny's manipulated by Christian and, like, the manipulation that he does compared to the way that the cult manipulates her because it's literally, like, if I was in that situation, I would have no idea. Like, it truly does seem like what Pele's doing and what the cult is doing is, like, trying to help her and they're there for her. And, like, she does not feel that support. She has no family everyone that she knows just like doesn't really like her like christian and his friends don't like her so it's yeah it's really really interesting (laughs) i feel like i don't know how to talk yeah no i it's like in this movie it's one of those narratives where you struggle to figure out who the true villain is because obviously the like obvious or correct answer would be the cult because cults aren't inherently good but at the the same time like do they have good intentions in helping danny and saving danny from the life that she's currently living 
you know? And I mean, like, it's, but it also makes you wonder, like, are they only doing it to bring her into their cult or are they genuinely doing it to save her? Exactly. Oh, I, I love complicated storylines. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so Pele tries to console her, but she thinks him getting close to her is inappropriate since Christian could come in. Not because it's inappropriate just for him to be doing what he's doing, but because Christian could see, which, you know, maybe that's what he deserves. Pele then questions how much Christian really means to Danny based on how he is around her. And that's crazy for her for him to say. Mm-hmm. But also, like I said, they must be paying him good. No, for real. Like, he is the recruiter. Like, he's putting in the work. And sometimes that's how, like, those army recruiters on high school campuses <laughs> felt no, to me. they need to get him in there. No, because like, actually... They would have you down lunch? during lunch, too. And try to bring up your trauma. Be like, are you planning on going to college? Oh, you can't afford it? Well, here's an option for you. Um, yeah. All right. I'm literally telling my mom about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The authorities, this one right here. Um, So Danny later has a nightmare that Christian and his friends are leaving without her. They drive away in the middle of the night as she watches them go and she is plagued by haunting imagery of her dead family and the corpses of the two elders. After what they saw, Simon and Connie plan to leave, but when Connie is ready to go, she is told that Simon went off with another villager to the train that would take them home. She's like, this is not what Simon would do. He wouldn't just leave me. And then she walks off on, she walks off on her own trying to find a solution to her current problem. Meanwhile, Never to be seen again neither of them and honestly i don't think anybody really questions where they went either like what it's just like they when they do reappear it's in of the way that he's expected they wouldn't care when a couple minorities go missing <gasps> right right they wouldn't care they wouldn't look for the people of color there T. Um, so yeah, meanwhile, Christian tells Josh that he also wants to do his thesis on the Harga, but Josh is not happy about that. And you can say what you want about Josh, but there is something crazy about a white man stealing the idea of a black man. It's almost like he's just being very on brand, historically speaking, you know? Nothing new, same old shit. That ancestral DNA kicked in over time. And what can I say? What can I say? He does argue that Christian can never just do his own thing instead of picking off of what Josh is doing. So he's a repeated offender. (laughs) Josh later learns that the village's ritualistic practices are based on paintings made by a member named Ruben, a deformed boy who is the product of incest, but is viewed as some kind of seer. Why is it that disabilities are always used in horror to like create more uh like uncomfortability i guess yeah it's it's like almost every horror movie that i see with somebody who is disabled they're disabled in the most like uh quote-unquote horrifying way and it's not it's not even that they're just like a character that happens to be disabled like that is their they're disabled and unhinged for some reason and I just, like, I think I was watching Urban Legend, and I, I made a comment about it in my Urban Legend episode where I was just, like, like uh, one of the people in the movie has a stutter. 
and the girl is scared of him because of the way he's acting because of his stutter and i'm like there's nothing scary about a stutter like i mean yeah he's a man which is scary but it's scary in itself but him stuttering has nothing to do with that um so yeah. i think like it's and even like the texas chainsaw massacre the original i guess even like the later renditions of it like they use disabilities as part of the horror and i just it that's like i don't know it kind of sucks yeah the horrific thing shouldn't be the fact that someone's living with a disability the horrific thing is the way that they treat people with disabilities yeah spitting speak your truth (laughs) (laughs) um josh does ask to take pictures of ruben's drawings but he is forbidden and so that's the that's the kind of thing like there's you know, cults are always open to you learning more about them until you hit a certain point. And then and it's so like, you know too much. yeah, you can't go b- beyond this line. Um, so the movie just kind of moves forward with exploring this cult slash group of people in Sweden. One by one, the group is kind of picked off. So after Simon and Connie disappear... Mark is next to disappear, and then Josh is the next to disappear after that. But quite frankly, he was told that he couldn't go somewhere. He could not take pictures of this person's drawings, and he does it anyways. And then he goes missing. And quite frankly, that's his fault. I mean, why should you mind your business? Does it suck that the like the third and very last person of color in this movie disappeared and died? It's unfortunate. Yes, but he was doing something he knew he shouldn't be doing. And I can't help but say that's his fault. Right. You can't read the room. Yeah. Like, if they're willing to kill their own, you don't think they'll kill you? Let's be real. Exactly. So now that they have kind of separated Danny from all of these excessive people, now it's just her and Josh. Or no, now it's just her and Kristen and Pele that are left. And one of the elders in the community confront Christian and Danny and Pele about the missing book of, of drawings that Josh was taking pictures of. And um, they were saying how it's suspicious that both of these people, Josh and Mark, are missing at the same time that the book is missing too. Christian and Danny are like, I literally don't know why this could be it. I don't know why this happened. Um, and then we get to the fun part of the movie. I mean, all of this movie was fun, but like once you get to the actual May Queen ceremony, that's what the meat and potatoes. Yeah. The meat, the potatoes, <laughs> the gravy, everything. The Thanksgiving meal. The flavor mm. is there. The kind where you just need to take a nap after. What? A little siesta. <laughs> <laughs> Danny joins the women in the village in a competition where they dance around a maypole for each woman each woman is eliminated this is to determine who's going to be the current season's may queen and they take this like hallucinogenic drug and danny ends up being the last one standing she's crowned the may queen at the same time christian (laughs) is given a drink that induces a trip for him he is lured and taken uh to a room full of naked elderly women and then Maya, the same girl who kicked him and pissed in his drink. She did not piss in his drink. <laughs> she put her period blood in his drink. So, but okay, but she didn't pee in it with the period blood. Like, 
together. You know what I'm saying? That's what I thought happened. Okay, valid. I, for some reason, thought she just bottled up her period blood and just dripped some in the drink. But I didn't think about it, it that like be that. It too. But she also baked, like, the bread, too. And she put something in the bread. She yeah, put she her pupils in it. Okay, she yeah. Put pubes. She put her pupils in it. She just, like, put it in the work. Not only did she well, put she her was pubes into doing the bread, that voodoo. she put her period blood into his drink. And then she also made a little rune, oh, a love yeah. rune, and put it under his pillow. Or, not his pillow, his bed. But did all those really work, or did, like, the drug psychedelic thing really persuade him to do it? The world may never know. I think it was it was both. I think the, <clears throat> it they, like, I think that everything she did leading up to that was kind of acting subconsciously, and then the drug just unlocked that. And, like I said, like, he was lured into there. And once he was in there what made him like go into it and actually like go all in balls deep (laughs) (laughs) was the was like all of it combined um because like you even see if you like notice on his face when everything's happening he's obviously enjoying it well i mean i think he's partially enjoying it but he's also kind of just like scared too because once that woman comes up behind him and starts pushing his butt he's like oh uncomfortable <laughs> like oh yeah i that's one of also, my the woman that came to like emotionally support maya and was like looking into his eyes the whole time the entire scene you... was quite frankly Yo, then, oh my god can I tell you, so I never got to see Midsummer like, in theaters, but when I was working, that was when it mm-hmm. came out, and that was the that was the only scene I saw, like, from that movie, was the, the Christian, and that's, like, sex. that's something about working at the movie theater, that, like, there would be so many movies where you would only see maybe, like, one part. I remember, like, Finding Nemo, <laughs> the... Um, like the Finding Dory. Yes, Finding Dory. When that came out, I was still working at the theater, and I would walk in at the like the last fifteen minutes of it. Other times, I would walk in and it would be the first fifteen minutes of it. So you would like see a movie in pieces. Sorry to bother you is another movie where I would always walk in on the very end of that movie. And if you've ever seen Sorry to Bother You. The very ending is the worst part to see because a it spoils everything, but two it makes absolutely no sense to the rest of the movie, and so but it did make me want to see it. So I finally actually watched it, and I was like, oh wow, yeah, all of this <laughs> is happening at once. Um, after Danny is crowned May Queen, she watch she actually watches Christian um, and Maya have this exchange and just all of the mess that goes into it. And this. <laughs> is where all of the women join her and cry together. And if you are on Twitter or or are, you're on any social media sphere at all, you're probably familiar with this meme that's been made of the scene. This is where Christian disappears. And now Danny is left on her own. With the anger that Danny is feeling, the power that she also is kind of feeling from everybody around her, and she's finally feeling like she's found a family, um, they, like the end of the ritual, 
calls for people to be sacrificed and killed in like in that golden teepee so you finally learn the purpose for this golden teepee as well um and so they like as the tradition calls they have to sacrifice nine people this includes two elders four outsiders two living volunteers and one chosen by danny after all that she's gone through she picks christian rightfully so and the village take a fully grown bear disembowel it so they can place Christian inside the bear's corpse. Yo, but they, they leave bring- the bear's rib cage in, so they just shove this man through that bear's rib cage. Absolutely and like, insane. The, the thought of it always gives me the heebie-jeebies because I know it's hot in there. I know it stinks, and I know it's hot. And then you're telling me I'm being burned alive, and he can wow. in- feel everything. So he had to. Fe- oh my god, I'm gonna throw up. Wait, but can he really? No, because he's paralyzed. Yeah, but so he re- he honestly couldn't feel it. He had to. Ain't no way. He just couldn't move. Nelly said. Nelly no. said, "There's no way." <laughs> but I didn't think he was paralyzed. I just thought like he couldn't move. <laughs> but I thought he still had no, feelings. I, I like the definition of paralyzed. no. I thought he still had feelings. Your like your nerves are damaged, so it's oh. like that's why you can't move anything, and so like you also can't feel because your nerves are damaged. But also, there's, like, different forms of being paralyzed, too. Like, mm-hmm. he's not just paralyzed from the waist down or from the neck down. Like, he's entirely paralyzed. I think he can only really move his eyes, but maybe not even that. Because yeah. the girl had to open them for him. Which is such a cool scene to watch. Like, mm-hmm. the opening of each eye was yeah. so sick. Ugh, Ari Aster, <laughs> your mind. <laughs> um, so, she chooses Christian. They put him in the bear's corpse. They bring him... Ingmar and the uh, corpses of Simon, Connie, Josh, and Mark to the Golden Teepee, which is then set on fire. Unable to speak or move, Christian succumbs to his fate while only being able to wheeze in pain. So I guess, okay, maybe he can't feel it. Um, while right. Ulf, and y'all booed whoever, me. I mean, and y'all booed listen, me. Right. We didn't boo you. We were just trying to make sure that we were all on the same page. <laughs> okay. You know, like. It's kind of like how they, like, are screaming together. That's kind of like how we were trying to <laughs> have our own moment right here. <laughs> the villagers mimic the screams while Danny appears to break down from what is happening again. However, as she continues to watch the, the TP go in flames and hears the unified wailing of the villagers, a demented smile begins to form on her face. And that concludes the synopsis of Midsommar. Before we talk any further about this movie, I want to hear your all's experiences with the first time you watched Midsommar. Well, the first time that I actually ever watched Midsommar, I had taken edibles and I had taken a little too much. So it made it for... A very intense um watch to be honest i mean it's an intense watch whether you're high or not let's be real um but honestly one part that i did love about being high and watching it is during like the may queen ceremony and stuff like that um and also just kind of throughout the entire movie um because everyone's taking the psychedelic drink of like the little yellow flowers everything's super trippy and it shows like 
in the visuals of like flowers growing and moving and stuff like that. And that was a really cool aspect um, that added to my experience along with just the visceral reaction of witnessing the carnage that happened. So there's positives, pros, cons, you know. And Nellie, let's hear about yours. <laughs> well, um, actually, Avery popped my Midsommar cherry because um, she really wanted me to watch it. And it was just such an out-of-body experience because I was also very high when I watched it. <laughs> um, and it was just like, um, it was just so funny having Avery be like, hey, pay attention to this. <laughs> And then just having it click in my head, and I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god!" It was just a ton of stress. I just felt like I was my emotions were definitely cranked up times ten because I felt like I was experiencing everything Danny was. That soldier boy was cranked. Um, what? <laughs> so at least a ten. <laughs> no, I and I remember. I think that was one of our first like. Um, like movie virtual movie nights that we ever did because I was in college and I was like oh my god you have to watch this and that which I think I've talked about on the podcast a few times before but like there I when, (laughs) when it comes to this movie and I think there might be one other movie that I just am forgetting I think that might be raw actually when it comes to this movie and a movie like raw where it's um kind of graphic but reasonably so with like oh, with just like it's just a perfect movie tens all around I have to show it to people I, I need people to see it and I love to watch people's reactions and I love to be like without spoiling it but I just love to be like oh my god okay so you see that painting in the background <laughs> all right so I want you to remember that remember that that's actually all foreshadowing exactly what's but come? like this movie is the best and I have I've shown this movie to anyone who is not that big into horror or just like has never seen it before like I've shown this movie to them and it's gotten me banned from choosing movies in certain environments um but it's still not in this house not in this house no not in this house never and that's why you're on this podcast and they aren't (laughs) no tea no shade but um no like anybody that I have uh, like played it for or whatever like watched it with um they always just kind of were like I remember the time that you showed me this movie and like like they would at the time that we were watching it they would act like they were absolutely traumatized but then by the end they're like this it was a good movie I just wouldn't watch it again I'm like and that's all I'm asking for quite frankly that's um that's me with teeth I show everyone that movie and you know what maybe there will come and no one will ever stop me (laughs) I've never seen it before Oh, honey, do I have a film for you? <laughs> I've heard really bad things about it. <gasps> Not really um, it's a whole bad movie. I've just heard it's really. Um, bad, but you know, that's it, my alley. It's a good conversation to have. No, I Teeth is one of those movies I watched once in high school, and then I was like. I can't watch this movie ever again. Um, though I think now I would, especially because it's just been so long since I've originally seen it. But it is very graphic and it's kind of obscure in the way of like, I mean, it's kind of like 
raw i would say it's like in the same category where it's very graphic but it's very like feminist and the graphic the graphicness of it is justified because of you know like what yeah what it's talking about um but nelly asked me she was like i think you should do teeth on your podcast and i was like (laughs) i'm never watching that movie again but i will i will eventually no i will there will come a time where I will watch it, and then I'll dedicate the entire episode. Can I can I request a different movie? Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay, have you ever seen The Green Inferno? I don't want. I don't want to. Wait, I think I've seen that one. I can only take justified cannibalism, and that one's not justified. That's valid. That I accidentally gosh, seen that movie twice. <gasps> yeah, that one is insane. When I watched that for the first time, oh my gosh! Like I was just. tell me how i accidentally rewatched it twice i saw for the first time in theaters repressed it forgot and then my mom was watching in the living room i was traumatized a second time your mom casually watching the green inferno in the living room in the living in the living room in the living room and they're broad daylight like you know i can handle cannibalism in horror to certain degrees But the Cannibal Holocaust and Green Inferno are on my list of, like, I just do not plan to watch them. The Cannibal Holocaust is absolutely insane. Yeah, that sounds just not That sounds terrifying. I don't think I will, there will ever come a time where I need to watch it. Um, And, like, it's actually kind of a historical movie, (laughs) per se, because, like, um, it is filmed as a found footage film. So... Everything looks very, very real. This was made in, like, the 60s or 70s as well. So when people originally watched it, they thought that the people in this movie, like, actually died. But not only... Like the Blair Witch Project. Exactly. But at the same time, they had to go to court when it comes to using animals in films they like there's now like a lot of laws when it comes to making films with animals and like when it comes to harming them quote unquote because this movie they actually killed turtles they actually killed some animals yeah and so they had to go to court for that that's crazy it's been like yeah amount of dedication for a movie is Mm -hmm. and like Y'all couldn't find fake turtles? Well, no, for real. it gets worse, too, because I'm pretty sure this movie, they also used, like, a, a very real indigenous tribe of wherever they were and just kind of, like, let them roam free and recorded around them. Like, they knew that they had to interact with the actors, but they didn't, they weren't really given any or much direction at all. So there were times where some of the actresses were in actual danger because some of the some of the people in this like um, in this tribe were like actually causing harm to the women. Um, yeah, so it was very it's a very controversial movie. Um, on top of that, cannibalism that's not that's only used to like create this um, idea that all indigenous tribes are cannibalistic and and hostile and crazy yeah um 
So yeah, which I actually I talked about that on my raw episode too cuz I was like I don't I don't like cannibal movies unless it's justified. That was a nice little sidebar. I know there was absolutely no cannibalism in in Midsommar at all. Um but yeah, I saw this movie in theaters with I'm pretty sure I saw it with my friend Nicole and I don't know I don't know how I persuaded her to come see it with me, but I was working at the theater at the time, so I got in for free. And I don't know what I was expecting either, quite frankly. I do know that I loved Hereditary, and I'd seen that, like, the year before. So I was like, oh, my God, Ari Aster. I loved his last movie. Let's see what this movie is about. And I loved the movie, even though, like, the entire time, my shoulders were clenched. Like, I was... Like everything on my body was clenched. You know that must have been like a way different experience because like I had watched Midsommar after already knowing everything that happened. Basically, mm-hmm. like I mean, I didn't actually know like the scenes of what happened, but you yeah. know what's going on. You know, you hear about it and stuff like that. So watching it, having no clue, kind of what you're walking into would be intense. It was so intense, and especially to bring someone in that like isn't necessarily the biggest horror person. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure um, the person that I went with, like, she enjoys a good horror movie, but, like, you know how you have, like, your horror buffs who will watch anything just to, like, see what it's about. And so it's, like, to bring someone in, and I remember talking to her after about it, and she was, like, well, that was something. (laughs) And me just like, oh my God, that was so good. Of course, at the time, I didn't know what letterbox was. But if I did have a letterbox, I would have been insufferable. So yeah, and now it's one of those movies that's on my list to show people whenever I have the opportunity. Nelly happened to fall victim to that. And Noah has also (laughs) fallen victim to that as well, but with Raw. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to find my next victim. (laughs) But anywho, so you said that, um, Noah, you said that you went into watching it kind of knowing what it was about. So even after knowing or having an idea of what it was about, like, were you expecting any sort of outcome or anything in general? Had you seen Hereditary before and were you kind of expecting some of that? Yeah, I actually had never seen Hereditary before. I don't think I actually ever saw anything that Ari Aster was a part of. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like my intro to Ari Aster, which I think this is like a great movie, honestly. Um, I loved every aspect of it. And even though I went into it kind of like knowing about what it was, which was that it was like a movie about a cult and like I'd seen little like scenes like here and there of some things and it intrigued me but I think truly it's one of those experiences that you're actually like never really going to be ready for I guess like not to hype it up like that (laughs) much but like also it really deserves its hype because it's something that like just the precision and like the amount of detail that there is throughout this entire movie is insane. It's like every single time you watch it, you see something new and you see another little foreshadowing of something that happens later. So watching it with having like an idea of what it was before 
kind of just blows your idea and your expectations out of the water because it's just so much more visceral, so much more intense. There's just so much more to it than what you think. And what about you, Nelly? What was your, like, how much knowledge of this movie did you have before actually watching it? And did you have any certain expectations? Because you had seen Hereditary before, right? Um... uh... Yeah, I saw it like once, well, like um, when I worked at the theater when we when it was playing, but um, I didn't really like. I don't know. I felt like I connected a lot more with Midsummer more than Hereditary, I guess. So I guess that's why mm-hmm. I feel more drawn to it. Real, yeah. I quite frankly, I can't even remember what my expectations were for besides the fact that. I liked Ari Aster, I liked Hereditary, and I was excited for the foreshadowing. And let me tell you, Midsommar had a lot of it. Um, and so when we were watching it last night, I actually, well, I like it opens up with the mural. And of course, I didn't pause it, but I looked it up on Google, the picture of the mural. And like, it literally tells the entire story mm-hmm. on the mural, which is just like, it's one of those details that obviously if you're sitting in a theater, you can't look at it for too long because it doesn't allow you to, right. but it leaves you just like thinking over everything that you missed. And it's one of those movies that you really do feel like you, at least for me, like I feel like I have to keep rewatching because of everything that I could potentially be missing. It's like one giant jigsaw puzzle. So, yeah, with the foreshadowing, especially watching it a second, third, fourth time, or even if you're not the kind of person to rewatch a a movie multiple times, you you more so like to look it up on YouTube afterwards. That's cool too. Um, but like you can even look up Midsommar foreshadowing and you'll see all of the different paintings specifically that are used to foreshadow everything going on in this movie. So, like, with Danny in her room, she has a painting above her bed of a little girl and a bear, which literally is, like, your boyfriend's dying. Like, there's no, there's nothing else we can tell you about that. Um, there's also a another kind of mural in Harga, um, like, as they're touring the, I don't know, like, the community or whatever, um, and it's showing maya and christian's like fate as well yeah the clocks yeah that was really cool and that's kind of the only reason how you know that's what's happening um is because like if if you see the the mural and you pay attention to every little section of it that's how you can connect the dots to what's going to happen between maya and christian which i think is is cool it's the the thing that I like about foreshadowing and particularly the way that it's used in this movie is that it does cause you to be more present with the movie because right. sometimes now listen all three of us I know I know our our trains of thought can sometimes get a little lost um so like a movie like this it it kind of causes you to be with the movie and stay with the movie all the way through yeah, this is definitely one of those movies where you're watching it and you don't really talk during it. I mean, at least... Yeah, or you don't, like, go on your phone real quick between uh, in the boring parts. Yeah. Yeah. I know we like a good feminine rage, so we let's talk... <laughs> rage here. Let's talk about the feminine you know, rage. You know me. I love supporting women's wrongs. You, so. you love unhinged women. I do, because I see myself in them. 
Yeah. And that I love and the like, rage queen. If we were in therapy right now, I could simply just say that's because you love yourself. And I love that for me. (laughs) (laughs) So the feminine rage in this movie, like it's, it kind of builds up. It's not, it's not one of those movies where like, um, I don't know, like the feminine rage is being acted upon kind of like promising young woman. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, we're seeing everything being built up to Danny's final expression of the rage that she has. And like, so the the entire time in the movie you see all of these men just talk down on her mm-hmm. and like advise more uh, advise chris to break up with her because um like the way that mark phrases it specifically is that he should just end it with her to find a girl that'll actually have sex with him and it's like first of all she's literally like she's depressed she's anxious she has all this other stuff going on and like if there's one role that florence Pugh is going to play it's mentally ill she is always going to serve mentally ill no matter what role she's in. And that's something I've learned. She played um she played a role in the I guess it's a good person, not the good mm-hmm. the good person, but a good person. And she was mentally ill in that one too. And she did uh, great. I she, really want to see that one. I haven't yet. It was so good. I love Miss Flo. Um, but this movie also deals with um the themes of family and grief as well. And so all of this comes to com- like combines and plays into the finale where Danny succumbs to the cult and, mm-hmm. and is taken in because she's finally found a family um, after she just lost hers and and she they're helping her to work through her grief as well because they're taking it on for her yeah that was like a crazy like just that scene is like something that i love in that movie is when she comes to the realization that christian like i think she truly sees him for what he is in that moment when she sees him with maya and she's just like completely heartbroken and everything catches up to her and like all her and all those girls just like screaming like sobbing it's so yeah. intense and oh my gosh, it's just like, oh, that female rage, <laughs> that feminine. I like how um, it's slowly, like they slowly started to sync up with each other with like their crying. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't Im- immediately clicking and they just guided her through it too. It was nice. Yeah. Little girl moment. Mm-hmm. Women yeah. supporting women. And like how I think it was, you know, that mentioned like every time in the movie she cries by herself but that's the first time that we see her crying with other people i said that you yeah. said that um yeah how you Whoa. were saying like, <laughs> you said <laughs> that's hard, oh, yeah, no, uh... <laughs> um, let's give nelly her flowers where it's due yeah so <laughs> i i really like the point that you did make nelly because i hadn't even really like noticed that myself watching it but on the topic of Danny and crying and Christian, um, let's let's hear the hot takes. Is Christian right or wrong? <laughs> more specifically, more specifically, do you think that Christian is entirely wrong for staying with Danny because of her grief? I think yes. I do think he is in the wrong. Um, only because 
and I always go back to this one conversation where they ask how long um, Christian and Danny were together and they give two completely different answers. Like she says four years and he says three, which means in my mind, he mentally checked out a year ago. And if you felt that way, you should have left that year ago. Because mm-hmm. now look at you burning alive. Well, okay. And here's my thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's let's hash it out because I personally that is wrong but him not being able to break up with her because of what she just went through I do not think he's entirely wrong I think the way he treats her because of it is wrong but I think that his feelings surrounding it are not wrong which is completely different like I feel like he um it's kind of like when you're angry but you're taking it out on other people it's like you're not wrong for feeling the way you feel but you're wrong for the way that you're choosing to express it and so i think that's where it kind of gets like complicated obviously he was way wrong terrible person up until the time that danny's family died but him like, well, now I can't break up with her. I, quite frankly, I think I would do the same thing. How can you break up with someone after their family just died? And like, he was wanting, he was ready to break up with her until she called him crying. And then it was like, can I even do this? Right. I think yeah. also is kind of when um the timing and the time frame in the beginning of the movie does kind of like, leave you wondering because it truly is like how long after her family dying did they go on this trip because truthfully I believe kind of what you were saying in the sense of like if I was with somebody for multiple years and then their family died and like I was like low-key planning on like ending it I would wait a little (laughs) like I would like personally because I feel like that's just such um an intense thing to go through and then to go through a breakup on top of that it's just like so emotionally overwhelming it's just like t- there is a time and a place but to then like you said project your own feelings about the relationship onto that other person who's literally grieving and going through like a really intense emotional time is not okay yeah um, um... Well, let's move away from this topic because I feel like one more word and we're going to turn into every other male podcast on the (laughs) platform. So um, within the last year, I would say uh, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about the way that Midsommar is related to The Wizard of Oz, which when I would watch it, I get feelings of it, like, like a hint of some sort of like easter egg or inspiration from it Mm -hmm. especially towards the end when you do see mark's corpse specifically and you see like the straw sticking out of them and everything like that um and so but like i i also just never looked too far into it and so then i'm pretty sure it was probably like a tiktok edit quite frankly (laughs) um a fan edit and i was and like it was you know connecting the dots and i was like no that's wow that's so real so i decided to look a little bit further deeper into it um to better understand it and it does um ari aster actually does credit wizard of oz for a lot of the inspiration for this movie 
and he says it's the Wizard of Oz for perverts. Whoa. Right. Right. So the like the best way to kind of explain it is uh, Danny has her own Wizard of Oz twister tragedy in the death of her family, which is kind of like she had that, whereas Dorothy had um, like she just had a terrible, boring life and everybody was mean to her. Nobody paid attention to her and she just wished for a better life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, they both see visions that frighten them and remind them of their tragedy and that's kind of like through the twister that Dorothy experienced. She sees like the one lady who's a, who's like supposed to be the witch. She's on a bicycle and she's like mm-hmm. criticizing Dorothy, whatever. And uh, through that twister, they're spit out into this brightly colored fantasy. And you do kind of notice how the, the colors do change. Like, and that's one thing about this movie that I really do like is it is, I mean, how many other horror movies can you pinpoint that are so brightly colored such high contrasted horror movies like they're always just so dull or grisly Mm -hmm. or you know whatever yeah most of the horror does take place in broad daylight yeah that's which which is really cool yeah and that's kind of one of those things where you never really consider the setting to be i mean obviously setting is an important part of a story but like it takes certain movies like this to kind of remind you of their importance. And so if you intentionally set a story to be in a particular setting, it's like, wow, like Sweden only having like having daylight for most of the day. It's first of all, crazy. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> Exhausting even. Yeah. It's like the midnight sun, which I was like, I thought that was just a Bella Thorne movie to be honest. <laughs> And so then um, you you get other little Easter eggs leading up to the very ending because the very ending is more so where it tied up for me. But as they're walking through into like Harga, the, the whole community, um, they're walking on this path of yellow flowers, which kind of acts like a yellow brick road. Which is super cool because one thing that I noticed this recent time when we were watching it last night was that um that whole like yellow brick road the yellow flowers leading them through the forest like into harga are very similar and i feel like this is on purpose to the psychedelic yellow flower tea that they drink throughout the entire movie which induces these hallucinations which i thought was a really sick touch to add into the movie right right he said herbal remedies yeah herbal remedies <laughs> you know them are herbs. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah they walk this yellow brick road or like the yellow road of flowers um which then takes them this entire thing is just like one very bad trip one very bad psychedelic trip um so um and like if you if you look at it from the lens of like they walk the yellow brick road to the emerald city or like to the emerald palace mm-hmm. technically speaking they're walking this this yellow road of flowers to the yellow teepee which kind of acts like the emerald city if you really want to stretch a little way when it comes to the actual characters of the wizard of oz i like last night watching it I was trying to pinpoint, okay, who would be who? Like, what characters would be in in Midsommar would be the characters in The Wizard of Oz. And so while Christian is aligned with the Scarecrow at the beginning, he has, like, there's some Scarecrow imagery, particularly the actual picture of the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz is in his house. 
and you see that i think there might be like one other instance so it's like his proximity to this like um to this symbol of the scarecrow is pretty close so you think that's who he's going to end up being he actually ends up being the bear and i think that's because the lion was looking for for courage and i think that's why he slowly became the bear slash lion because he didn't have the courage to do what he needed to do which is kind of how he how they all got in the situation that they were in in the beginning meaning danny coming along with him and everything like that um so i really i really like being able to look further into that this time around as i watch because i haven't watched this movie in so long um did you happen to notice anything new this time watching it compared to the last time honestly i don't think so the only thing i really noticed was maybe that um yeah i'm i'm with that um, to be honest i never heard of the wizard of oz thing though like well, me either. I asked her that too. I was like, hey, I no, wish for real. I, I would have I never know. put that together, like, at all. Would you say it's a reach? Or would you say it's like. I think it's definitely a very subtle. Are asking it's... if it's a reach? <laughs> I definitely think it's a very subtle hint towards The Wizard of Oz. I think it's something that if you really are a film buff and, like, if you're, you know, like, if you ask Ari, if you find it out through Ari Aster, you know, but it's not something you're going to watch yeah. and you're going to be like, whoa, this is the Wizard of Oz. I think the only thing that really gave Wizard of Oz to me was the yellow flower path, yellow brick road type of vibe. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I didn't really catch on to that too much. Real. And that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then the last question I'll ask before we wrap up is in what ways does this movie scare or unsettle you? I I personally, the movie to me isn't scary, but unsettling. Um, it makes you kind of like wriggle in your seat and, you know, like maybe like clinch a little bit. When right. I first watched it, I closed my eyes, not, be, not because of being scared, but like because of the gore, for example. Um, and so whether we're talking about the first time you watched it or every time you watch it, um, is there something that sticks out to you that like makes this movie unsettling? Um, I think the way that they go about showing some of the, um, insinuating some of the deaths and then going about actually showing, I think they're very specific. Like we don't see what happens to Connie, but we see graphically what happens to, um, what's his face? What's his name? It's the couple that was brought to Hyman. So, like, also, it's the same thing with, like, we we see, like, Mark's face just, like, not on his actual face. Like, his face is clearly, like, on, like, the dude that, like, scalped him. And then, like, Josh is, like, you only see his foot. But then you see, like, people get burned alive at the end. Or people getting their head smashed. They're very, like, specific to not be too gory, but just the right amount, which I think balances you out where you're not shrieking too much but you're just under yeah i will definitely agree on the sense of like to be honest this movie isn't something that's scary it's very unsettling um just in the way that it's very tense as well throughout most of it but i think the most 
um, unsettling fact for me personally is like seeing how tense it is in the beginning, but then when they enter Harga and they enter this community, it is so welcoming. It is so um, cheerful. Like you said, it's highly saturated. Everything's beautiful. Everything's colorful. Everything they do is so community-based and it does seem like a truly peaceful environment. And then through that peaceful environment, so much violence um, occurs and like so much havoc is wreaked. Um, Does that make sense? So much havoc is wreaked within those nine days. It's so insane. And then the fact that um, someone like Danny can be so influenced by all of this. It's like truly everyone she knows has died now and she's in a completely other country. (laughs) <laughs> Tank fire. Oh, dang, I busted ass. <laughs> Damn. What <laughs> um, I was also she's in a completely other country. What do you do after that? Like, you're kind of forced to join the cult. It's like you don't really have any other option left. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what's really unsettling about it. Is just like being trapped Mm -hmm. um another thing that i just remembered is that they slowly kind of start of indoctrinize you into the cult as well because they're so warm and welcoming or they come off that way so even by the end where danny's smiling as like the whole thing is burning to the ground you're kind of like oh good for her you know even though she's just been you know brought to a place with the cult and they murdered everyone she came with she's like you're like oh finally the audience themselves feel like they've kind of been influenced by everything that you've watched but is it is it that or is it just the like we just really hated no i think it's valid (laughs) i think it's valid (laughs) no 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 it that that is real i mean it's kind of just how i was talking about before in terms of like um it's one of those complicated storylines where it's like, who's the real evil here? And you you find yourself struggling to identify that because, you know, the cult seems to have saved Danny from the, um, you know, from the life that she had back in, back in America with a terrible boyfriend, not a lot of friends. Her family is now deceased. And, you know, so this is the first time that we're really seeing her smile in this movie even though it's a demented smile but we're like i'm so glad that you're happy girl <laughs> like because yeah. like, she's, she's just so sad she's crying like 98 percent of the time so when you smile you're like oh she deserves this even if the circumstances are so yeah gruesome. and i will say you do notice uh at least i noticed a color change in that very last scene where she is smiling, everybody's crying and everything, it's a little bit more dull um, compared to, like, the, the like, middle part of the movie. Which I'm like, hmm, interesting. I wonder, I wonder what that means. Does that mean she's back to... She's in hell still? <laughs> uh, she hasn't truly faced her demons. Um, the delusion's worn off. Delus- no, literally. <laughs> that's how it is with cults. Not that I know from experience. <laughs> uh, so, as we wrap up, if you haven't rated this movie on Letterboxd, that is fine. But if you have or haven't, whatever, uh, what do you rate this movie? I give it a good old 
Um, wait, out of what? Out of five, because it would be letterbox. Okay, slay. I'd give it a good old 4.5 out of 5, but I'm pretty sure I'd give it a 5 out of 5 on letterbox. She is a full-on five stars from me and number two in my favorites list. Like, let's be real. She is a good five. (laughs) She is a good five on Letterboxd for me as well. Um, I don't don't know if I actually wrote a review for the movie, though, because I'm not seeing her. Oh, yeah. I did rate it a five. As you should see, taste. As you should taste. That is taste. Um, Yeah, I rated it a five as well. And if you would like to see that review, I don't know if I actually wrote a review or not, but I will be soon. Um, So if you'd like to see that, you can find my letterbox at Avery C O F. And Noah, where can they find you? You can find me on Letterbox at. N-O-U-H-B, because I had to be a little bit different. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at no period U-H three times B if you want to see a little into my life. <laughs> and the lily. Um, my letterbox and my Instagram is Melissa <laughs> Vega if you want to look. If you want to take a picture. If you want to gander. gander. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and those will be linked in the show notes below so if you do want to take a gander on either letterbox or instagram for both of them please be our guests now you can find me at your horror podcast on twitter tiktok and instagram and when i tell you tiktok is just a blazing with great content funny content, fruitful content, all the content. Quirky content. Relatable content. All of it. Everything that you need as a horror fan, it is on there. So if you're not already following me, go ahead, take the moment, pause this, do it right now. Because what the hell else are you doing? Besides listening to us. But, okay, hold on. But that's kind of important. (laughs) (laughs) What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you all have anything else to say to the people before we head on out of here. No. <laughs> she lived. She served cunt. She died. Exactly. No, like that's the perfect way to wrap it up too. Wow. Exactly. Um, all right then. Well, thank you all so much for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure that you tune in next week. All of next month, really, because all of next month is Pride Month! Hey, people in the house. Shout out to the gays. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, lesbians. Let's go. <laughs> Shout out. Nope, not. Nope. What? Anyways, I'm very, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited for next month uh, because uh, it's, it's all about the gays. And I love queer horror. Um, and so I'm very excited to spotlight the LGBTQ community as it pertains to horror and let's not forget Juneteenth. I think it's kind of crazy that Juneteenth is during Pride Month. Uh, but that's for an argument for a different day. Also, but... um, I was born in June. Right. <laughs> Correct. Like, Correct. We just keep winning, Correct. guys. So on Nelly's birthday, there will be a special episode dedicated to her. Um... Finally. <laughs> 
that's her movie. As God intended. So. Her movie debut. Um, yeah, so Juneteenth, there will be an episode. I'm pretty sure I'm doing The Blackening, I think. Um, I have to double check on that. That looks so funny. I'm so excited for it. It does. I'm excited for that. And the Angry Black Girl and Her Monster comes out. Yeah. June 9th. So make sure you tune in to my interview with Bomani J Story and Leia DeLeon Hayes. And check out that movie coming June 9th in U.S. theaters. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. And I hope to catch you next month. Bye. Your PhD in black cinema, sister soldier. Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.